welcome one and all to She Said, She Said's 10th very special episode of our Hashtag Eye Candy series, where we celebrate and honor internet movers and shakers who are ideal. That is, they're interesting, innovative, and like today's guest, iconic. They are incredible men and women, hence eye candy. I am Lena Stagg, your co-host of She Said, She Said, and I'm the author of the Recipe Record series of rock and roll cookbooks full of good food, good fun, and great rock and roll stories, facts, and trivia. Please check them out on lenastag.com and sign up for my newsletter and my rock and roll blog. And hi guys, I am Jude Sutherland Kessler, author of the John Lennon series. It is a thoroughly researched and documented narrative history series. And it, it details the life of John Lennon, of course, and his mates, the Beatles, in what is going to be a nine volume series. Now four of the books are already out in print, the last of which was released in August telling the story of John and the boys throughout the year of 1964 called Should Have Known Better. And you can explore that new volume and all of my books on my website, johnlennonseries.com. And hey, while you're there, sign up for my monthly newsletter and you can keep up with the progress of Volume 5, which is Shades of Life. And you can hear what's coming up each month right here on She Said, She Said, where I am Lena's faithful co-host and sidekick, and we compare generally controversial topics from the Beatles world. But every so often, Jude and I pause in our Beatles debates and discussions to introduce you to some of the most important and inspirational personalities that we have encountered in the Beatles world. And today we're extremely excited to be able to talk with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a mega star of the late 70s and 80s, an extremely talented musician who left his imprint on my teen years and is still one of my favorite musicians of all time. And in fact, uh, I had a gentleman post on Facebook, on my Facebook post today about it, and he's, I'm going to quote him. Christian Becker said Elliot Easton is one of the most underrated guitarists in rock and roll, and I must concur. Yeah, I know you have been so excited that you have barely been able to stand it. He is, of course, the very gifted lead guitarist for the Cars, plays those amazing licks that you're going to hear on songs such as My Best Friend's Girl, Just What I Needed, You Might Think, Moving in Stereo, You've All I've Got Tonight, and so, so, so many other dynamic hits. So true. You know, the late 70s was wrought with the leftover carnage of disco, bubblegum, and mainstream pop. But then along came a new wave band in the U.S. that sounded British due to their exotic resonances. They were, of course, the Cars. And like the Beatles, the Cars were known for creating music with cutting-edge sounds. The Cars emerged in the late 70s, and they threw a fresh coat of hot wax on music and shined it beyond compare. The Cars were innovative, and they took 1970s guitar-oriented rock and blended it with the new synthesizer pop that was becoming popular. And from there, they jetted off 
for number one, and I'm not exaggerating, <laughs> the cars were named Best New Artist in the 1978 Rolling Stone Readers Poll, and they also won Video of the Year for the song You Might Think at the first MTV Video Awards in 1984, which I'm sure I was watching. Their debut album, The Cars, sold 6 million copies and appeared on the Billboard 200 album chart for 139 weeks. So, as those of you listening out there can well imagine, we are chuffed, as they say in Liverpool, to have with us the one and only lead guitarist for this mega group, Mr. Elliot Easton. Elliot, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you. It's great to be here. I just have one question. I, I never understood this underrated tag. How can you sell 40, 50 million records, be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, have so many hits, and people know who you are, and be considered underrated? I never <laughs> quite got that. I guess they think you deserve even more accolades than you got. I don't know what you can get more than being on the charts for 139 weeks, but I think I don't. Well, I I know. I, I think I think you know. Being serious for a moment, I think the the key to it is, I never wanted to be. It was never marketed as like a guitar hero, like a, like a, an Eddie Van Halen or a Slash or something like that. I never really wanted that. Um, I was just perfectly happy to be lead guitarist in a band that mattered. And I, I, I would imagine George Harrison would say something similar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's plenty of faster guitarists, of flashier guitarists, uh, mm -hmm. both of you know, but what I think I share with George and what has always been my goal is I've never tried to play guitar for other guitarists like you'll see some of these so-called shredders and the audience is just filled with guys, other guitar players. Mm -hmm, but I'm mm -hmm to play for people and those solos the intent is that you could walk away whistling them and, right and that was and that's the idea not that it was some stunt guitar playing of some pyrotechnical thing that you know will dazzle people because my fingers are wiggling so fast it's more something that will like an arrow to the heart you know and and and, and that will make sense within the song it's cogent to the song and, 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 you know, and it's of a piece. In other words, so the vocal, when the vocal stops, there's a way for the, there's a right way for the solo to enter, which is gracefully. And right. there's a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you tell a little story or a joke or whatever it may be, and then you have to find a way to sort of gracefully set the solo back down to make it comfortable for the vocal to re-enter. Right. And I learned a lot of that from, from Beatle Records. How to how to put that stuff together? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know any like to me, John Lennon has one of the most underrated vocal. His voice is underrated because you don't hear everybody constantly saying John Lennon, other than George Martin, who said John Lennon had the best rock and roll voice in history. Um, but a lot of people don't acknowledge that. And I think anytime you truly love someone, no matter how many awards they've won, you always want them to get even more acclaim. You want everybody to feel what you feel. So I right. think that's what that guy's saying, that he wants everyone to, you know, just to sing your praises from the time they get up in the morning to the time they go to bed at night. Yeah, cause, yeah because John Lennon hasn't had enough praise in his life. He has not. <laughs> 
Well, Elliot, I'm a little bit older than Lena, so it wasn't my teen years, but I was a, a young mom teaching aerobics when the cars were huge, and um, I oh, good, do not... Good songs for working out. They're all around 200 beats per minute. You are so right. You're so right. All those leg-warmered girls getting up and dancing around to the cars. I have these great, great memories, and... I know that you have a wealth of knowledge about the Beatles because you have been so kind to me to help me with the John Lennon series, support it, and were so sweet to give me a cover comment for the last book, which was oh, so gracious. Fine. My pleasure. But you really, really know the Beatles. And so, of course, you know that one of their, their hallmarks was experimenting with new sounds. So the cars were very, very innovative, too. Tell us about some of the innovations you guys introduced. All right, I'd be happy to. And and like the Beatles, a lot of these innovations, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, technology was uh, so much more primitive, even at the time the cars were starting out compared to now. But when the Beatles were starting out, they just had two or three tracks and had to, you know, and the only effects basically were echo and reverb and if you wanted to distort something. Um, with With our band... You know, and they figured out, you know, a way to get all those incredible sounds. Uh, you know, whether you know, John wanted to sound like a, you know, like a a, a, a Buddhist priest top of, or whatever, whatever it is. Oh, I got to switch phones. Can you still hear me? Yeah. You know, so I was saying he he, he wanted to he wanted his voice to sound like that. So they put it through a Leslie speaker, which he would play a Hammond organ through and stuff. In the car's case, one particular kind of solution to, to an interesting problem was, uh, you know, there was no such thing as triggering. And I, I don't want to get too technical, but basically in, in, in the studio, a trigger is something that will take the impulse of one instrument and make it um, uh, activate another instrument. So it'll be in the same rhythm with the first instrument. Right. Then you have two sounds. So on our song, Good Times Roll, if you remember, it has those tom-toms that go, let the good time, doom, doom. You know those, those tom-toms mm -hmm. that, that sound like that, that doom. And those aren't real drums. Those were something that David had just gotten called syndrums, which S-Y-N as in synthesizer. And they were an electronic drum. But on, on the basic track of the song, David just played his regular tom-tom going, doo, doo, doo. And what Roy Thomas Baker, our producer, who had just come off doing Bohemian Rhapsody, and on, he was on, I, we were his next project, he came up with an idea where in the control room, you know, you'd have various sets of speakers to listen to a mix different ways. And one of, one of the ways was to have a small mono, was called, the brand was Oratone, and you would listen to the mix of that, and you'd get a pretty good idea what it sounded like through a radio or a car radio, like a single speaker. Right. Well, Roy took one of those little speakers and put it on its back so it faced up. Then he took that syndrome, which was just looked like a, like a drum pad, like a round electronic device, and he put it face down on top of the speaker. And he fed David's tom-tom through that speaker. So the speaker was going, doom, doom. And every time it hit, did that, it, he had it loud enough so that it would trigger 
the synth- synthesizer drum and go doom, doom. And mm-hmm. he kind of invented triggering with that. Huh. Which is like, you know, now it's an extremely common practice. Wow. But we're like, how can we sync up the synthesized drum for exactly? And he thought for a minute, and he goes, I got an idea, and, and it worked perfectly. So it's just one small example of how, you know, uh, you can get interesting sounds with limited technology, and certainly the Beatles uh, were, the, you know, were the king of that. Uh-huh. They, you know. Yeah, well, that, gosh, so you essentially invented triggering, you know? I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'd never seen yeah. it done before, and it was, like, you know, in, incredible the way it worked. That's amazing. That is amazing. Well, we just talked about the honors that you guys won. I mean, Video of the Year, first MTV Awards. What, what could, That was the year that everybody was so hot on doing innovative things with those videos and to win the number one and then selling six million copies of your self-titled LP. I mean, that's, that is off the charts in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. So, but the funny thing to me is that if you go back, 76 finds you guys playing in Pease Air Force Base, a really small venue, and only 24 months later, 1978, things have changed. You don't have one, you have three songs on the Billboard Hot 100. So Lena is going to play a clip for us. It's My Best Friend's Girl. And then we're going to ask you to talk about what happened in those two short years that propelled the cars to the toppermost of the poppermost. So guys, here is a bit of My Best Friend's Girl. That was My Best Friend's Girl, and we are here today with Elliot Easton, lead guitarist for the Cars, the blockbuster band who performed that gigantic hit in 1978. So, Elliot, what was it that brought your band from an Air Force Base gig near Boston to the top of the charts in only 24 months? Well, you know, it's one of those stories, again, you know, like we talk about the Beatles so much, and it's just one of those things that, that you know... It, it was a, 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 a confluence of, of, of events, really. Um, I give a lot of credit to a disc jockey in Boston on the major FM rock station there. It was WBCN. And there was a gal there named Maxanne Sartori, uh, just known as Maxanne, and she had, like, you know, the prime times. She was, like, the premier uh, DJ there. And she was a great champion of us. Even before we had the cars, we had another band called Captain Swing, and she and she would always be a big booster of our of that band. So when the cars made some demo tapes, and I really believe that this like maybe even directly led to our record deal. Uh, we recorded, I think, just live to two track recorder, uh, Best Friends Girl, just what I needed, maybe one or two others. 
And she started playing Best Friends Girl, or Just What I Needed, in heavy rotation on the biggest rock station in Boston, something that would never, ever happen today. It was a demo tape. And if, if you know the radio business, or even if you don't, I'll explain. Uh, the radio stations all subscribe to these tip sheets, just, just the way, say, a record company would subscribe to Billboard to see how records are doing. There are radio tip sheets that show what the big markets around the country are playing that week and which songs there, you know, have a bullet that, you know, that, that likely to be a hit and stuff. And, and so the stations subscribe to this in like the secondary and tertiary, the smaller stations around the country, they look at what the big stations are playing mm-hmm. and, and it influences what they, what they go on. And that's how a hit happens. That's the legal way it happens. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, so Max started playing our, 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 uh, Just What I Needed in heavy rotation alongside the hits with the day. And on these tip sheets that, you know, all the A&R men and the radio stations were getting, it would be like a list. And so it would show like, you know, WNEW, New York, WBCN, Boston, and it would show like their top ten that week. And it might say, and it was a column for the band, the, the album, and the label. So maybe it would say... Um, Aerosmith, Back in the Saddle, Columbia, Elton John, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, MCA Rocket, The Cars, Just What I Needed, Tape. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, literally. And and so, like, A&R people in New York, which is just a hop and a skip on the shuttle, you know, to, to Boston, I was like, what the heck's going on up there in Boston? Who are these cars guys and why are we reading about them on a radio tip sheet they don't have a record out yet so it started a buzz and these these A&R people uh, started flying in from New York and seeing us at like the Rat and Boston's little clubs and uh, eventually we had a few offers um, at the at the end we would we, we had two record contracts in front of us on David and my coffee table because we shared an apartment in those days and one was from Electra Records, and one was from Arista Records. And uh, Clive Davis really wanted the band too. And um, there were one or two points that that Warner Electra were willing to concede that Clive was not, and our manager decided to have us go with Electra, which I do believe was the right decision at the time because Arista was just starting out. They had they didn't have a lot of rock acts. I think they had. I think Patty Smith's Horses was out by then, and yeah. had the Outlaws. And other than that, it was pretty much like Anita Baker or uh, you know, uh, you know Whitney stuff like that. Like, yeah. you know, so it wasn't like a real rocker. And then you look at Electra, you know, and there was a time where all you had to know that there was a Electra label on the record. You knew it was going to be a good record. Yeah. Except, you know, there was something interesting inside, whether it was Love or The Doors or the Butterfield Blues Band or Tom Rush, or Judy Collins, and on and on and on. If it was an Electra record, it, it, it kind of automatically told me that I'd probably like what was inside. So I was very pleased to be on Electra, and we even got them to, for our records, to put the old label with the big E on it that they used to do, because they had switched to this butterfly thing that mm-hmm. be part of it. And they used to also, if, if this goes way back if you remember this, 
They used to print the band's logo on the label, like The Doors or Love would be written in their style on the label. And we got them to do that, too. We just wanted to be on a classic Electra record. Wow. That is... Yeah. And, and to go from we, tape. It was, it was cool, man. And, and, you know, and, and it was something about the band or the way we got signed and the way the buzz happened and everything that Elektra had faith in us from the very beginning. They sent us mm-hmm. with a big budget to London to a rented house in the Mayfair district with yeah. a Malaysian couple to cook and clean. It gave us a, a Jaguar and a Range Rover to get oh. back and forth to the studio. <laughs> we were recording at George Martin's studio, Air London, on Oxford Street. Wow. With McCartney recording next door and George coming in and listening to what we were doing and dozing off on the sofa in front of ah. in our studio and listening and giving what I was told is his ultimate compliment, which was, hey, that's not bad, actually. Oh. And, and we, looked, we were a little crestfallen when he said that, and one of the engineers says, no, no, that's when he loves it that he says that. Otherwise, he doesn't say anything. Um, and we did the record in 12 days. You heard it. 12 wow. days to record that album. It's still selling. Um, wow. and, you know, because it was our club set, and we had been playing it for just about a year, starting from that Air Force base. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we had those songs down. We just kind of had to just regurgitate them onto tape. Yeah. We had our parts, you know, pretty together from playing months and months in clubs. So it went quickly. And, um, and uh, you know, and now I'm this great underrated guitar player. <laughs> well, but I think he, I really do think that he's saying how much he loves you and how much well, he got. I know that. You know, I know that. But, I just, I just, yeah, yeah. You're just, just you're amazing. It followed me around for, for 40 years, and it's like, well, by now, I mean, I, I'm in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. This and that. I feel pretty rated. <laughs> You're rated, man. You are so rated. I'm not joking you. Well, I love my best friend's girl, and, and, and everybody I knew felt the same way. I mean, truthfully, it burst like an explosion on FM yeah. radio in 78. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little secret about best friend's girl, all right? Oh, good, good. It requires me to put the phone down. Can you hear this? Yes. Okay, so... If you want me to, I will. Wow. All right, that's I will. Yeah. And she, and she used to be mine. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> that is fantastic. Get it? Yep. I love it. <laughs> I just so love it. There's so much that, and, and Lena really is the one with the good ear because she's like, well, they've got that great, that catchy guitar riff, the Beatles hand claps, and that 50s style sound that Rick gave, almost Roy Orbison, and then that the lyrics, you know, she's always dancing down the street with her suede blue eyes, kind of like I saw her standing there. So you guys really do have an affinity for and a very strong um, a similarity to the best of the Beatles. I mean, oh, thank you. But you know, I don't even know why that lick occurred to me because there's nothing else about that song that would suggest sort of a rockabilly-based lick. It's it's more like Wild Weekend. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. 
I heard like a Chet Atkinsy kind of thing floating across the top, and then you know, then I made that connection, and it was actually that that DJ I just told you, Maxanne, and she once told me she said, "Amateurs copy, professionals steal." <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the best, but I didn't okay. really. I didn't really. I mean, it's over different chords, and I adapted it. But the inspiration is there, and when you play them side by side, it's fairly obvious. And I've always copped to that. I've never tried to deny it. Yeah. Would, you know. Really. I'm proud of it. Right. And also, you know, John Lennon. You were talking about that, like uh, Rick's like vocals and that '50s thing. John, in his very last interview that he ever did. Uh, with was it Ann Peoples or whatever that last interview, he name checks the cars. Mm-hmm. Where he he was talking about how it felt to him like the time was right for his music again. And he was talking about just like starting over. Yeah. But sort of like a fifties, almost like an Elvis right. rock song. And he goes, and you can hear it today, like uh, in the car song "Touch and Go." He goes, oh, oh, like a Buddy Holly hiccup. And yeah. he actually talked about the cars. You know, and of course Yoko picked up on the B-52s, yeah. you know, lobster sounds mm-hmm. that they that she they inf- they were influenced by her. Um, well, we'll call it singing. Um, <laughs> you know, and you can hear that in 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 the B-52s. So they were talking about how that new crop of bands that the Cars were a part of, were, were, you know, had had a, a, a connection to the 50s, and that's what he always loved. You know, he always said he was a singles guy. Oh yeah. And, and and you know loved the same things that he loved in the first place. Yeah, and that's what the jukebox was filled with. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was very gratifying that he even knew who you were. <laughs> you mean the underrated John Lennon, right? Oh, vastly underrated vocalist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, to me, like John Lennon singing like "Bad Boy" is like one of the greatest sounds in the entire canon of rock and roll. Yeah, I have to fan myself. You know, hey, in my in my fifth grade class, I got up and sang, "You can't do that." Oh, I love it. <laughs> that is super cool. That is super cool. Well, I want to move on and and talk about one of the songs that is one of my great memories from the the well the late seventies and the eighties. The song was also on your debut album that was released in seventy eight, but. It was as fresh in the 80s and beyond as it was when it first came out. The, you know, Elliot, your demanding guitar riff at the beginning was uh, just as alluring as the lyrics. And I am referring to the song, Just What I Needed. Okay. And the, the lyrics start... No, well, you know, it, not the very, very start, but not the perfume that you wear, not the ribbons in your hair. I don't mind you coming here and wasting all my time. That mm-hmm. is a classic lyric, and the intro is so classic from from the first measure, and also the the drums and the synthesizer play a very important role in it too but we're going to play a bit of this for our listeners and then we will come back for some insight from you elliot here we go all righty just what i needed
That was Just What I Needed by The Cars. And with us is Elliot Easton, whose lead work on that song is amazing. So, Elliot, will you give us some insight on this song? Uh, well, I, I will. I'll, I'll be happy to. First of all, you know, I, I would say that, you know, where you started with lyrics is where I, I think I'll start talking about it. I, I do consider Rick a poet. Uh, you know, in terms of lyrics. And I think the lyrics in the band are one of the biggest reasons that that the music has endured. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's not walking on sunshine, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it, it, there, there's, a, uh, there's a sense of irony and, and, and a sense of a, of a darker reality in a lot of Rick's lyrics, a lot of it's about the nighttime and and uh, and relationships and the darker side of relationships or jealousy, guilt, and certainly universal topics that are still in existence today, but it's not like... I mean, we always bristled at that new wave tag because we never... I mean, right. Jude knows I've been playing guitar since I'm three years old. I mean, I don't know what new wave is, but, uh, you know... <laughs> My mom was a Juilliard trained singer. I grew up with music. Uh, I'm not a, some kid from a garage. So um, that whole new wave thing kind of, it, it never really meant anything to me. I just considered it a journalistic tag uh, to make it convenient for writers of what to call every band that came out in 78, whether it was Tom Petty, Elvis Costello, The Cars, B-52, new wave. All right, cheap trick, new wave. Fly Twilly, new wave. But they have virtually nothing in common with each other except, well, maybe the Beatles, you know? Right, right. Certainly Cheap Trick and Dwight Twilley. <laughs> well, I always looked at your the lyrics, for instance, as like R-rated Beatles lyrics. Not R-rated, but, but it graduated. It's, well, it's I know like, what you mean because like the, the Beatles... The, the 60s got a little bit edgy. And we're going to give you some real life here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the Beatles just wanted to hold your hand, but we wanted to. Um, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I I do think that 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 the lyric the lyrical content of the songs really has helped the music to last. Yeah, you know, it's good music. Um, but I do think that the, that the uh, the human conditions that are discussed in some of the songs are still very relevant today, and it. Like I say, it's, it, I always call it pop music with, an, with a sense of irony. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect, perfect uh, description. 
Elliot, this is definitely one of those shows when we wish it could go on and on. So Jude and I would be over the moon to have you back again in the next few months to talk with us about three more of the car's biggest hits. Would that be possible? I think that would be entirely possible. I'd be happy to. Oh, that's so terrific. (laughs) It's nothing. (laughs) My pleasure. We're delighted. So that brings us to our third and final Cars track for today that we're going to get your input on. This is my favorite car song. I know I keep saying that, but this one is my favorite car song, and it hails from the soundtrack of the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Phoebe Cates, right? This is the one I'm talking about. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Phoebe Cates. (laughs) Yes. You know, you know, it's really funny to have, you know, you, you want, you, you, you're always happy that your song is remembered by something, <laughs> but in this particular case, a guy watching a girl through the bathroom window, <laughs> well, you know, uh, we'll take it. Um, I could, uh, you know, if you would like a little bit of background to the song, Moving in Stereo, um, I'm just trying to think of what I could tell you about that song, and... Um, I will tell you that it's the only album track that was ever co-written by anybody else with Rick, and it was with Greg Hawks, our keyboardist. Oh. Now, he's a founding member of the band, and, and uh, okay. uh, but uh, he was very into, um, like, the German electronic stuff coming out at the time, like Kraftwerk and Klaus Schulz, and he loved Eno and stuff like that. And so all I was going to say is that I, I, Greg basically wrote the music to that one, and it's very influenced by, by stuff like Kraftwerk. Lyrically, I, you know, I wouldn't comment much because, it, you know, I, I always hesitate because I didn't write the lyric. But it's, again, another case, I think, of Rick's lyrics kind of pointing to, uh, a, a, you know, a, a darker reality or, you know, you know a, a little bit more of a world-wise view than a typical what you might call a new wave song. Sure, sure. Well, Elliot, introduce our next song. All right. Well, I hope everybody's enjoyed this little chat we've had, and I know I have. And we're going to finish up today with one of the tracks from the Cars' first album, a particular favorite of uh, Nia's, and uh, and mine as well. It's called Moving in Stereo. Lena has said it, but I want to say, too, that we so very much appreciate you giving your time to be with us today. And before we sign off, 
please please me and tell our listeners where they can follow you on all sorts of social media Facebook the whole bit oh well um, there's there's a, an official Elliot Easton fan page on Facebook um, there's the cars official page and website but there's a cars official page on um, Facebook as well uh, my current band I have a little band that maybe we'll talk about next time with uh, Clem Burke from Blondie and Wally Palmer from the Romantics and Andy Babuke from the Chesterfield Kings that's called the Empty Hearts oh. and, we, and we have a page on Facebook and you can hear some of the music and I think it's the first album is streaming pretty much everywhere we're almost done with our second record and uh, it's coming out on Little Steven's label Wicked Cool Records and nice. uh so hopefully we'll be hearing that on Underground Garage on Sirius XM. Wow. And uh, other than that, I'm just trying to be a good boy. <laughs> now, Elliot, I think I saw that your Empty Hearts had performed recently. The thing about the Empty Hearts is that we have to work around the windows of when Blondie and the Romantics aren't touring because they mm-hmm. play quite a bit. So it's kind of something we do for fun. We, You know, we have realistic expectations about it put it that way but it, we, we, we're all real good friends and love doing it and and so when we can get together we get together I've done some shows in LA recently you may be thinking of um, for instance we played a concert at the Grammy Museum where to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the White Album we performed the entire album Wow and on my page you can see some clips that uh, of me nailing Clapton solo and While My Guitar Gently Weeps and things like that. And, uh, and that was a lot of fun. And then uh, two Saturdays ago, a week ago, last, a week ago, last Saturday, um, I do this thing every year. It's called the Wild Honey Orchestra. And every year, um, well, it's, it's founded by a fellow named Paul Rock who has an autistic son, and all the money goes to the uh, autism think tank. And every year they they take another artist to feature. And last year it was the Buffalo Springfield and Richie Fulay came and sang. And this year it was the Kinks. We are the Preservation Hall Society, Village Greenhouse. Yeah. We did that whole album plus, um, you know, other hits. Uh, uh, I I did a a song with Carla Olson from the Textones. Wow. Nice Texas girl. And uh, Terry Reed was there. He did the perfect Kink song, I'm Not Like Everybody Else. And uh, uh, Bill Janovitz and Buffalo Tom and I did uh, Stop Your Sobbing, Pretender Style, and all kinds of fun stuff. The big finale, obviously, was You Really Got Me. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, I do that every year. And um, so I've been playing around L.A., but not the Empty Hearts, by yeah. way of a, a very long answer to a short question. <laughs> okay. Awesome. But I'm just trying to we'll be... just, just keep him busy, you know. Yeah. Sure. We'll be, we'll be waiting for to hear the empty hearts on Little Steven's Underground Garage. That's my favorite station. Well, there's a huge surprise coming out on that record that relates directly to what you guys are deeply into. It's going to blow you. I'm, I'm intrigued. we got somebody playing on the record. Whoa. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm allowed to say. Okay. Because okay. Steven, Steven was really adamant about wanting to... Um, tell this big surprise when we put out the single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, fantastic. You know, it, 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 it is fantastic. Uh, yeah. Great. Well, Elliot, but, um, we can't 
We can't thank you enough for joining us today. And this is our brand new format for She Said, She Said. This will be okay. the first show that will be released on YouTube, Google Play, and iTunes. And we are honored to share it with you. Oh, thank you so much. And it was, a, it was really fun for me. And if you ever want me to do it again, all you've got to do is ask. Oh, we definitely do. Oh, just, there's one requirement. You have to ask me. Do we have to ask you? Don't worry. You have to ask me to do it, and I'll say yes. Okay, well, we're asking right now. <laughs> it was a joke that didn't land. <laughs> you got to remember you're dealing with a blonde who dyed her hair red and another blonde. <laughs> yeah, well you got, and you got to remember you're dealing with a Jew who was born in Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That that should explain all you need to know. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much, Elliot, and we will be chatting with you again very, very soon in just a few months on another. All right, ladies, you have a great thank rest you. Of your day. Thank you so much. Well, guys, I have to say that T. S. Elliot's assertion that April is the cruelest month may be true if you're talking about dreaded income tax, but it certainly isn't true here at She Said, She Said, because our guest in April will be none other than Rogue Best, who has just opened the Magical Beatles Museum in Matthew Street, Liverpool. Jim and I are going to be talking with Rogue straight from Liverpool right here on the show in just a few weeks. Then, in only six months, we'll be joining him live and in person, Merseyside, for a pint in the grapes and a look at the lovely new, new museum that he's opened in the Beatles' hometown. We are mad about it mm -hmm. and can't wait to chat with him and hear his stories of his wonderful entrepreneurial mother, Mona Best, and his brother, the Beatles' drummer, Pete Best, his dad, and his fab new enterprise honoring the fab four so until then here's to food for thought food for the soul food for the love of rock and roll Ta ra and shine on